Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas. My name is Benjamin Rangel, and I'm a local educator and advocate for progress in Milwaukee. And I'm Kyle Hagee, a current Marquette Trinity Fellow studying political science and also an advocate for progress. This is our first episode in a series that will provide insight on the systems that contribute towards a productive city. At Bridge the City, we believe that sound bites are not solutions. So this podcast serves as a launching ground for action. Over the course of this season, we will have thematic episodes centered around important systems in the city of Milwaukee. But to kick us off, we have excerpts from an interview with local freelance journalist, tour guide, and Renaissance man, Adam Carr. Pretty much uh, John Goethe in the making. This episode will focus on the history of Milwaukee, its current struggles and opportunities, and its hope for the future, and also why it's an important American city. It's a very foundational episode to get everyone introduced to the landscape of Milwaukee and where action is needed. But Adam Carr is much more interesting than us, so now we will pass it off to him. So we're sitting in Five Wise right now, Five Wise Workshop. Um, I'm a member here and the founder of Five Wise Workshop. His name is Tim Scythe. It was an engine blade and prop shop. Um, and it, that business had been here for generations. So there's still people that come by every once in a while and knock on the door. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With like their engine. They don't, yeah, <laughs> usually, I haven't, they usually don't like hold their engine yeah. while they're coming in. But, um, I have had meetings here where someone's like, oh, yeah, I've come, I used to come here to get my, Motor thing. So we wanted to give Adam the chance to introduce what he does, but after seeing him around on numerous occasions, pretty much for a month straight, we had to ask him the question that's on everyone's mind. Are you the mayor? I would say I'm the mayor. Honestly, I feel like the mayor has a lot less time to be productive than I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, in a literal sense of yeah. like, I, yeah, I, I probably get to do a lot more fun stuff than he does. Yeah. In fact, I think the mayor would really like my job. And Mayor Barrett, we know you're listening, uh, so this is an open invite for you to join us on the pod whenever you have a chance. So, um, so is the question, what do I all do? Sort of, I grew up in Milwaukee, I went to all Milwaukee public schools, this informs what I do professionally now. Very long story short, um, I ended up getting an internship at 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. At the same time... I was canvassing in 2008 for the presidential election. You know, everyone who grew up in Milwaukee knows the domes, right? Yeah. And then we canvassed the blocks surrounding the domes. Just seeing the city that I was familiar with, with that with so much more intimacy, and meeting all these people who live in the community that I'm aware of, but maybe not... Um, you know, hadn't, hadn't delved very deeply into it. Like any kid growing up in the city, I wasn't like an expert on Milwaukee. I just sort of knew the outlines. Yeah. So I got really addicted to like talking to strangers. And weirdly, I almost liked the experiences that turned out bad better. Maybe not in the moment, <laughs> yeah. but I always found them like more interesting, yeah, I guess. Yeah, if someone's like, hey, let me give you a high five. It's like, okay. But if you get in like a fight with someone or have a disagreement, it's like, that's interesting. Yeah. So then I also was interning at 88.9. I was basically cutting audio. The guy that I was hired by for the internship um, had been the production manager at This American Life. I said, sure. I mean, he worked very closely with Ira Glass. Mm -hmm. I became the producer at 88.9 at the 
tender age of probably 23 or 24, I learned very, very quickly how to be a radio producer. There's nothing like, I mean, this is just a well-worn cliche. There's nothing like just being thrown in the deep end to like teach you how to swim, right? That's how we feel with this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like out in the field interviewing but he, in here, not, I'm not going dis- to disparage your podcast project. This was an iconic moment because you know you haven't truly made it until Adam Carr takes a shot at you on your own podcast. Situation where I was making radio pieces. I was making radio stories. I did that for three and a half years. I would say I legitimately like, got into that work to an unhealthy degree. I think in a lot of ways, it was an opportunity for me to repay some of the privileges I'd always had. Like, I had a great life. And a lot of people say, I grew up in Milwaukee, very privileged. That means I went to USM, like university school or something like that, which, not to disparage, but that's normally what that means. Mm-hmm. I also had, like, parents who valued sending me to public schools that were incredible schools. Adam's point about his parents insisting on him going to public school is a great preview for our upcoming episode where we take an in-depth look into the public education system here in Milwaukee, its challenges, and some of um, some of the opportunities that we found. And yes, we just plugged ourselves on our own podcast. It's that important. Now back to Adam about 88.9. It was a very young station at the time. I think I joined in their second year. But people wanted to be heard, so it was very easy to get people to say yes to an interview. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was just interviewing so many people that were amazing. I interviewed executive directors of community organizations. But then I'd also do an interview with a young man who was the first college student in his family in the basement of his aunt's daycare. That's not a hypothetical. That that was a story. And I'd, I'd interview Frank Almond, uh, who is the concertmaster of the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra, wow. and we like played around with the Stradivarius, and then I'd like interview a break dancer. Yeah, you know, so it was this incredible breadth of 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 being able to experience my own hometown. Both Ben and I did not grow up in the city of Milwaukee, so we were curious with Adam's history if he always planned on living in Milwaukee. So we asked him just that. Or definitely did not. this was this kind of the same way for you to be like oh this is yeah I see myself that was definitely i mean when i started as a radio producer i mean almost then to fast forward to the end of that experience during mm-hmm. that time i did I, I think i produced over eight or over a thousand radio stories i did hundreds wow. and hundreds of interviews like closer to a thousand yeah and when i left Radio Milwaukee, I left not exa- knowing exactly what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. What I was much more interested in was doing projects in Milwaukee, even if they weren't radio. Your discussion with us when you took us on the tour about Milwaukee as an important city, whether you think it's good or bad, like that can be the debate, but it's an important city. That was something mm-hmm. that really stuck with me. In fact, I like kind of proselytized that. That thing yeah. a few weeks after with people and sort of expect. Sure. Yeah. So I think um, it was actually Kyle has mentioned that like my my love for the city and I do really love Milwaukee, but also Milwaukee is a place that breaks my heart more than any other place in the world. Right. It's a very challenging place to live if you're paying attention, 
And um, something I sort of like committed myself to and as I was sort of setting off into adulthood in Milwaukee was growing the community that I felt responsible to. For a while, I was saying, I realized it didn't work. I said, uh, I, I wanted to grow we. But that sounds like growing we. Yeah. <laughs> Which I didn't realize. Yeah. Some people would be like, that's not, that doesn't work. Me. Yeah, so grow, but like growing who the us is that you associate to. Uh-huh. Growing... And, um, which is both, you know, a gift and a curse. If you care about other people, it's good. But if you care about other people, it also increases your chance to be hurt by, you know, the dysfunction Mm -hmm. of people. Our discourse as a city is often trapped in binaries. And I think it's not just our city. I think right now it's especially true in our country. I think we lived in a moment where that's very magnified, where... Everything is like we have this demand for purity. It feels like where yeah. it's like it ha- it's good and it's perfect, or it's bad and it's yeah, horrible and it's evil. No yeah, and there's not a big there's not, and I think there's a very big middle in reality. But I think we kind of live in this very dichotomous way of of thinking, and and I think especially in Milwaukee, things are good or bad, and you know, I, and it, it's to the point of these cognitive this cognitive dissonance where like. I'll see on Facebook one of the articles posted of like, you know, Milwaukee's the worst city in the country for, for African Americans to, to raise children in. Mm-hmm. And then I'll see someone post in response to that, like, but there are good things in Milwaukee. And it'll be like, 10 best restaurants in Walker's Point. And I'll be like, what the, they're just, they're, they're two different things. Yeah. And they, they can be, that can be simultaneously true very easily. Mm-hmm. But I would argue, if you look at it, like, one is more damning than the other is buoying of our of us as a place, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, but regardless, like, I think there's an immense amount of dysfunction in the city. And I think there's an immense amount of good happening in the city. And interestingly, like, even in places where you'd maybe locate where dysfunction is happening there's immense amount of good happening there too. So like humanity persists, um, not in spite of itself, but like because of itself. The things that I cheerlead for tend to be the things that like exist within, exist within addressing the dysfunctions that that we have. So, you know, is, is Milwaukee a good city? Doesn't really matter. You know, if the good outweighs the bad, it doesn't matter if the bad outweighs the good. Milwaukee is a place where you can kind of see the American project unraveling. And for that reason, I think, you know, because it's like, what's the, what's the biggest issue in Milwaukee right now? It's disparity, it's racial disparity across many different fronts. What is our answer to it as a city? Investing billions of dollars in our downtown area... Investment downtown isn't a bad thing, though, either. It's just sort of like what we got going right now. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's so in to that point, that is the unraveling of our American idea that growth at all costs will continue to get us out of where we need as opposed to like introspection. Milwaukee is not a city that's good at taking a long, hard look in the mirror. We flinch and give ourselves permission. Um, I think that's kind of why we are a perfect place to see 
the unraveling of the American project mm -hmm. because it's not just the dysfunction, it's the denial of the dysfunction, it's the packaging of the dysfunction as being, no, we're, we're the best, you know, um, so this all sounds very cynical, but weirdly, this is why I love the city. A lot of the challenges and uh, opportunities Milwaukee has as a city require some context. So we were curious as how the history of Milwaukee tied into the current situation of the city. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we asked Adam. I think, I mean, even it's just kind of instructive to like go back. There was very sophisticated, very developed practices of humans <laughs> living with the land here and actually you know like there's this you know that sort of ugly ugly idea of like native people being savage or something and like what's interesting is like that if you kind of think about where we are today and how unsustainably we're living as a people and you kind of look back at what existed on this land prior to the arrival of europeans it's like i don't know if those ideas were so bad yeah. or if they were so simple <laughs> like there i mean there's probably some underlying simplicity to them but like simple doesn't mean bad so i think you know like the, the dysfunction of our current moment i think is rooted in a lot of those ideas of colonialism of european style land ownership colonialism Adam spent a large part of the conversation discussing the history of milwaukee Factors that included Milwaukee's rise as a city included its proximity to water, its use as a pass-through port, and eventually the processing of raw goods, like beer. And on the topic of beer, the beer industry in Wisconsin makes up a larger proportion of the state's GDP than any other state except for Colorado and Missouri. Beyond beer, at one time we even referred to ourselves as the machine shop of the world. The machine shop of the world supplies and feeds the world developed this really powerful industrial economy in, into the early 1900s. Milwaukee's African-American population was something like 800, and by like the 1960s, it was like 70,000, something wow. like that. So there was a huge influx. Mm -hmm. There was this window in the 50s and 60s where there was a lot of opportunity in Milwaukee. The time that people now call Brownsville, like when Milwaukee's black community was really flourishing, you had people that would work at A.O. Smith, clock out, go home, and then would have another business. Despite all that, there was also the practices of redlining. You had African-American folks in Milwaukee who had the means, like the equivalent kind of means to white people to buy homes and own houses and pass on generational wealth, but they were being iced out of that by the practices of systems in Milwaukee and then kind of the corresponding inability of the state, inability of the government to, like, rectify the situation. But what's interesting, Milwaukee's history of a socialist, socialist mayors and mm -hmm. socialist governance. And regarding Milwaukee's socialist past, Frank Zeidler was actually the uh, most recent socialist mayor of Milwaukee. He was the, so, uh, he was the mayor from 1948 until 1960. And he was actually the most recent socialist mayor of any major American city. So that's interesting to me, too, because I think a lot of particularly like um, liberals and progressives, they looked at this new wave of democratic socialism as like a panacea almost yeah. to a lot of the problems of inequality. Um, but historically, at least in Milwaukee, when you, yeah. can, when you combine the socialism with um, still these racist attitudes, it really didn't help. Yeah. 
it's complicated because yeah. like I think a, I think a lot of the problem is that it was like very paternalistic. Mm-hmm. Like the idea was like the government said like here's what people need, and people didn't necessarily feel consulted yeah. or understood yeah. or involved in a process. That's a big critique of a lot of government policies. Of yeah, assuming what the people want that mm-hmm. are not in power. For sure. And then just building what you think yeah, they want. Yeah, for them. And then yeah. they're like, well, we never asked for this. Right. We were never, you know, inquired on, like, what we actually wanted. For sure. Um, so even, like, even if you have good intentions, you can damage, yeah. damage communities. Moving more into the late 20th and early 21st century, we wanted to know how deindustrialization and globalization are influencing Milwaukee's development. Deindustrialization is very complicated, and I, I understand the factors of it. I think we usually reduce the the notion of deindustrialization down to globalization, right? Yeah. Like the manufacturing was cheaper in other countries that might have more lax labor laws or rights yeah. for for their workers. So you know, obviously that's problematic. But what happened at the same time is. In the late 60s and the 70s, Milwaukee built an extensive, completed I-43, yeah. which had a multiplying factor on the suffering of the city in that not only did the physical highway uproot 6,000 homes and 20,000 people, um, predominantly African-American, but it also facilitated white flight so the highways not only did it create a scar within the black community in milwaukee it also allowed for and i don't want to like i'm not saying so it allowed for white people to escape the city live in the suburbs while maintaining occupation in the city like our, our segregation has helped categorize people something that i often like grapple with is this concept of liberty versus duty Mm-hmm. of the people, you know, the white flight out to the suburbs. Do people have a right to move out of a city and go live somewhere else? I think most people would probably say, I guess they have yeah. the freedom to do that. Sure. But then what is your duty to a city that you live in and you kind of contributing to the degradation or the... Uh, lack of economic prospects in the city at large with a, a great number of people leaving. Like, how do you kind of overcome yeah. that discrepancy? Yeah, people do have the freedom to do whatever they want. <laughs> so, <laughs> people can leave. I do think, though, that doesn't mean that they're beyond critique. Yeah. So, like, white flight, I think, is appropriately named because there is a huge racial motivation in it. As black folks moved into neighborhoods, unless so as brown folks moved into neighborhoods, there's another predatory practice called blockbusting, which is essentially, you know, um, the real estate folks would say, there's a black moving into your block. You better sell your house now while you still can before the price drops because there's blacks moving into the neighborhood. Yeah. So it's this way of like stoking fear. So I think there's a standard that I'd hold people up to, like where, sure, liberty, great. Yeah. We all have freedom, but I don't think that absolves you from duty. 
As mentioned in the introduction, Bridge the City is not about just obtaining information. Both Ben and I, we listen to podcasts and we enjoy what we hear, but sometimes we're not called to action. We want to make sure that you, our listeners, hear important information, but also know how to use that information to affect positive change. So we always ask our guests, what action steps can me and Ben take and can our listeners take in order to ensure that this change happens? And we, we asked Adam what he thought appropriate action steps were. I would say like <clears throat> building a tolerance for the unsexy duties of living a civically connected life. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean knowing who your alderman is, knowing who your county representative is, who your state representative is, who your, who your electives are. And understanding what they do and how you can influence it, I think is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. We at Bridge the City really want to emphasize what Adam is saying here. It's extremely important to know who your elected officials are, know how you can hold your elected officials accountable, and know when all your elections are coming up. We really want to plug the website myvote.we.gov. That's myvote.wi.gov. You can enter in your address and it will tell you exactly who all your elected officials are and exactly when your next upcoming elections are. So again, that's myvote.we.gov. Check it out as your action step. I think something that people in this city can do, if you're listening to this, or in any place, is like... Just get to know your neighbor. I think everyone's just fucking lonely. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't even need to be your neighbors. It could just be like any, any any community you can be a part of and form and just be committed to, which means like being attentive to the humanity of others over time. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, even now, like pe- the way that people engage with community will be like in these cathartic bursts. And that's fine because it'll give you a flood of feeling of connection. But just like kind of the boring, not boring, but just like the the regular, the consistent Mm -hmm. act of being present. And I think it's just like, can we build up a substrate again of like humanity? So similarly to all of the other interviews we've conducted, we always like to leave our guests at Bridge the City uh, with an opportunity to tell our listeners, all of you, how you might be able to support uh, them in their in their work. So here's Adam uh, asking you all to support him in his uh, upcoming project. Well, I, th- I guess what I'm currently working on, and I'm working on a bunch of stuff, but I would say the one thing that's most immediate in what I'm working on is that it's the 50th anniversary of Milwaukee's open housing marches. Um, those happened in 1967 and 1968. It is the open, the story of the open housing marches is usually sort of compressed into a single name, with it, which is Father James Grappi, um, who was an incredible hero, but also he would probably hate the fact that he's kind of become the one and only name that yeah. the majority of Milwaukeeans are exposed to in relationship to the open housing marches because he was the advisor to the NAACP Youth Council uh, and commandos, and the majority of people out in front putting their life on the lines, the, you know, kind of the, the people who were 
really the, the, the stakes of the open housing marches were young African-American men and women or boys and girls in some cases. I'm really glad that Adam brought up the open housing marches and is working on projects to celebrate this uh, momentous occasion of the 50-year anniversary. The website for the group that he's working for is 200knightsoffreedom.org. 200 is numerical, not spelled out alphabetically. 200knightsoffreedom.org. And they have an event coming up January 9th. That's their next one. Teaching for justice and everything we do at the Washington Park Library, 4 to 7 o'clock. Be sure to check that out. Bridge the City will be there. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. I think you... The title of the, the episode, it has to be The Unsexy Duties of Living a Civic Minded Life. So you get the title as well. <laughs> what a boring <laughs> title for a podcast. No one will listen to it. Well, we took the advice of Adam and instead named this episode The Unraveling of the American Project. Although I'm still convinced that The Unsexy Duties of a Civically Connected Life would have been a big hit. Uh, but we went with this new name because we were struck by this quote from Adam. And although this can be seen in a pretty pessimistic and cynical light, we view it as an opportunity to lay down a new social fabric that ties our Milwaukee community together in an improved way. I think Adam did an incredible job of highlighting how Milwaukee is a perfect microcosm of issues that are plaguing almost every major American city today, and how our future, to change it, we need to be aware of our history. And although there are serious challenges that lie ahead, we at Bridge the City hope to inspire you to get involved. We also will highlight the amazing changemakers we have right now in our community that are working tirelessly to make Milwaukee more equitable. And I took Adam's advice. I used the website myvote.we.gov to see all my elected officials. And I now live by the quote, you're not cool unless you know your comptroller. All right, so seriously, go to that website Find out all your elected officials and find out when elections are happening. Those are your action steps for this week, to know your alderman and to talk to your neighbor. Adam's conversation was enlightening, at times disheartening, but for me ultimately invigorating. For me, and hopefully for all of you, it was a call to action to make positive change. Many of the challenges he discussed were systemic, which means they were intentional, intentionally discriminatory and intentionally marginalizing. With that logic, Current and future policies can be intentionally equitable and empowering. It is up to us as future policymakers to call for a change that does not resemble the discriminatory past. But the solutions he pointed to are even easier than making equitable policy. Talking to neighbors, getting uncomfortable, and educating yourself on local politics are all manageable first steps towards bridging together some people, resources, and ideas. So that uh, does it for the first ever episode of Bridge the City. We want to sincerely thank Adam Carr for being our first guest and for the poetry of his words. Since we are new to the podcast game, we don't really know how to get any data analytics. So I can only assume amongst our listeners are, you know, Barack Obama, LeBron James, Bill Gates, and you. So you're in great company. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Bridge the City Podcast. And you can email us at bridgethecitypodcast at gmail.com. And that I really want to highlight. We would love to hear feedback on this episode so we can improve it. And we're also really interested on what you learn from these action steps. Email us and tell us what you learned from looking up your elected officials or talking to your neighbors. So please reach out and tell us how you helped bridge the city. 
see you next time.